On this episode of the The CMD Podcast, the second round has begun. We've gotten past all the first round matchups in the NBA. We are now on to the second round. We will hop around all four series and tap in. Where do we stand? Will there be any upsets? And what matchups are the most intriguing? Also, the NFL draft has come and gone. And while everyone else is talking about draft grades, winners and losers, there were some ridiculous trades with low market value that popped off. What trades did I like? What trades didn't I like? And what the hell is Lamar Jackson going to do now? Finally, we wrap up with an announcement. A proclamation, if you will. The podcast has crossed another barrier. A number has been reached, and we're going to celebrate it. So tap in on this episode of the The CMD Podcast. Hello and welcome to the The CMD Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Duesenberg Jr. Follow me on the Elon app at The CMD. That's T-H-E-E-S-A-M-D. Podcast is up there as well, at The CMD Podcast. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Link is in the podcast description. For all content, audio, and visual, hit up TheCMD.com. You can subscribe to this podcast at the Purple app, the Rogan app. Subscribe, five stars, nothing less. Tell a friend. Podcast available on all major podcasts and platforms. Musical production done by Mayfirst Music. Support him at soundcloud.com slash Music. Hey, man. <laughs> Rudy Gobert. He's really trying to play the media games. He really wants people to think that the Utah Jazz are actually going to try and decide between keeping him or keeping Donovan Mitchell. Like, what What does Rudy think? Like, is he really trying to get out in front of this and say, well, look, one of us is going to go. So let me get out of this and get out in front of this and say, maybe, just maybe, if y'all trade him and keep me. I'm okay with that. As if Rudy Gobert has a choice in the matter. As if D-Wade, champion that he is, Hall of Famer that he is, and who has a bootleg version of himself than Donovan Mitchell, would actually consider keeping him over a bootleg version of himself. And let's not even talk about, you know, his other mans over there in Utah. Come on, them there. You think Come on, them there. is going to pick Rudy Gobert over Donovan Mitchell? <laughs> hey, man. Rudy's a funny dude, man. I-, I applaud the effort to get out in front of it. But Rudy, even if they somehow flip Donovan to Knicks tape and keep you, it's not because they value you over Donovan. Like, let's get that clear. But uh, Rudy Gobert is out here trying to set the tone that it ain't him, it's Donovan. Good Lord. Round two is upon us. We are down to four series, two in the east, two in the west. Where do you want to go? Where do you want to start? We know where we're not starting, and that's that putrid Miami Philly series. We know we are not starting there. So where do you want to go? Now we got down to three series. You want to go Boston? Boston-Milwaukee? The Celtics get the Bucks up out of here in game two. Now we have a split. Giannis went crazy in game one. 
Now we have Jalen Brown going crazy in game two. And if you actually want to parse it, like the Celtics just bit bombs away from three. Celtics went bombs away from three. And the Bucs went out there and got ran out the building early, chipped away Giannis' crazy third, third quarter. But ultimately, not enough. Celtics take care of the job, confirm the split at the crib, and now we move on to game three. With this Boston series, though, this Boston-Milwaukee series, my question is, how much is this going to take out of Giannis? Is the energy he's going to have to exert with no Middleton foreseeable for this series, is this going to take out enough of him to make him vulnerable in the next round if they're able to get past Boston? If Giannis has to one-man gang his way past the Celtics, that probably means this is going to be a long series. That probably means this is six or seven. Even with Middleton, this could have been six or seven, right? But Giannis is going to have to exert so much energy to get past this Celtics team. Will that now lessen him when they face the Heat? That now may open the door for the Heat to backdoor their way into the finals. Again. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's going to be a long finals if I have to put up with that Heat culture bullshit again in the finals. If I have to hear anything more about Heat culture in the goddamn finals, I'm going to be very upset. So I'm hoping Giannis can one-man gang his way past the uh, Celtics here and can still have enough in the tank to hopefully have Middleton back and then get back to business and put the Heat away. Because if the Celtics are just going to be bombs away from three and basically just be the, the Eastern Conference version of the Warriors where either we make our threes and we win or we miss our threes and we lose, that's going to be problematic. When you have a Tatum and you have a Brown, I don't know why they're being so concentrated in this series. Not so much in the net series, but in this particular series, they must see a, a deficiency in the Bucks' three-point defense because literally they're just chucking up tremendous amounts of threes. I think they have more threes than twos in this series so far. So the Celtics are trying to switch the game up in this series, and I like the adjustments. But I'm just curious of, can you really just depend on it? Can you really depend on the three ball that much to where you're basically saying, yo, if we make our threes, we win. If we don't make them, we lose. And we are all comfortable here with that. I really don't want heat culture in the finals again. Somebody, somebody. I mean, hopefully, even if, you know, one man gang Giannis, the Nigerian freak, can't do it. Hopefully the Celtics will not just try to go bombs away from three against the Heat because that's falling right into the Heat's trap. So I would hope that Boston would understand that they can't just go bombs away like that against the Heat because if we're foreshadowing, I don't know if you think the Bucs are done. I don't think the Bucs are done. I just know what it's going to take from Giannis to get past the Celtics. And it's going to take a hell of a lot than he gave him last night. He had an ugly game one, but he was dominant when it mattered. You know, he only put up 24 in game one, but it was a, a dominant second half performance to where he picked his spots to just go crazy and do the Giannis stuff, like the off the glass shit. Like he picked his moments. But in game two last night, he had his moments in the third quarter after having a trash first quarter. They got, what, two points in the first quarter. He went on to finish with 28. So he had a big third quarter. 
But then in the fourth quarter, when they were trying to chip away and trying to get the lead within striking distance, he just didn't have enough in the tank, seemingly. I like this series for a lot of reasons, and one was to see Marcus Smart go against Drew Holiday. Not against each other, but their defensive prowess against the other teams. Like, Marcus Smart, who was out last night in Game 2, but Marcus Smart, the defensive player of the year. Drew Holiday is a dude that's seemingly always in the running for that. And Drew was able to establish himself way more in Game 1 than Marcus Smart was, and then Smart, what he rolled the ankle, I believe, and he missed last night's action. So, I was looking forward to that, but I think Drew is going to have to do a lot more of the scoring load. And when you look at the shot charts, that's where things get problematic because as I went on my boy Greg Larner's show on ESPN Radio yesterday, uh, you know, if you can look that up on Spotify if you want to check the replay for that. I tweeted out the link as well on the Elon app. So, uh, yes, if if you want to get into the shot charts and the shot, um, shot management now that Middleton is out for this series, you have Drew Holiday taking 20 shots. Giannis took 25 in game one, and uh, Drew Holiday took 20. And then the next person who took the most shots was Bobby Portis. And they won. <laughs> like, that's, that's crazy, right? Like, when you look at that in terms of you don't normally want Drew Holiday taking that many shots. You normally don't want Bobby Portis taking that many shots. You'll live with Giannis. You want Giannis to take 25. Like, he damn near better take 25 shots tonight, especially with no Middleton in the lineup. But let's go to game two. Game two, was that disparity still the same? Giannis took 27 shots, so that's what you want. You want that from your star player. Holiday again took 20 shots. Again, that's not what you want. Seven of 20 overall, one for six from three. So Drew Holiday has to take more shots, but does he? Does he have to take more shots? And Bobby Portis had another solid game, but he took way less shots. He took five less shots in game two than he did in game one. He only took seven shots last night. And most of them, all of them were twos. He hit a couple of threes in game one. He hit no threes last night. So it's going to be interesting how the shots flow. If you're telling me Drew Holiday is going to take 20 shots every night, I don't like that if I'm the Bucs. That's not what I want if I'm the Bucs. Giannis taking 27, that's what I want. That's what a star player should be taking. But, you know, at some point, you might have to go onto this bench and dust off some dudes and see what they got. Like, is Serge Ibaka this washed? Has he reached DeAndre Jordan territory? I mean, but at least he's not starting like in Philly. I mean, (laughs) at least they're not trying to get out here a wash center like in Philly. But, I mean, is Serge Ibaka on that level of washed? Is he LaMarcus Aldridge? Is he Blake? Is, is, is Serge out there for what? He played two minutes last night, essentially. Is he going to need the, the shoulder ice pack like the Kia jumper? Is he going to need that? Because, I mean, the Bucks are going to have to go into this bench and find something. Brooke Lopez can't get nothing off. Brooke Lopez, two shots? Now, you could argue that they're trying to play him off the floor with the auto-switching. And that the Bucks are going small with Giannis at the five, with Portis at the four. I don't know if I like that, especially when, you know, Robert Williams is out here and Grant Williams is out here as well, and they're thugging the game up. I don't know how you play small when the other team is clearly trying to thug the game up, and that's how the Celtics play. I'm not mad at it. Like, let, let's be clear. 
I'm here for physical basketball, and we'll get to Memphis, Golden State, and all the flagrant twos that are going on over there. But at the end of the day, if they're going to thug the game up, how are you not putting bigs out there to try to combat that? How are you not putting a Serge Ibaka out there for more than two minutes? How are you not getting Brooke Lopez at least 30 minutes? Now, I know he got into foul trouble, but if I remember correctly, a lot of those fouls were on him switching. So I'll have to go back and re. I haven't had a chance to rewatch uh, that game. Uh, I've only watched it twice. I usually like to watch games three to four times in some sort of fashion, whether it's uh, extended highlight clips or whatever. But I don't remember Lopez picking up a lot of fouls like in the paint. So the sun, something's got to give here. Because if Holiday's going to take 20 shots a night and he's going to be Brick City, 35% from the floor on the majority, on the majority of those shots, then, yeah, then Giannis is going to have to be Superman. Giannis is going to have to be like how he was in the finals. But the problem was in the finals, he had Middleton. So it's like, can Giannis go out here and put up 40? Is, can he do like what Ja did tonight? Can he go out there and do what Ja did tonight and just put up a 40-piece and put the team on your back? Because, I mean, the Celtics are out here in Tatum, 29. Brown, 30. They did what they always do. And then you go out there and you give up 21 to Grant Williams? Grant Williams. Al Horford, another double-double, by the way, Philly. <laughs> but I know he was washed. He was the reason. Another double-double for Al Horford. Uh, but, yeah, I, I just don't understand how you let Grant Williams get out here and go crazy from three. Six threes. Grant Williams. So, did, this is what I mean by they're just chucking up threes. You had Tatum, who made five out of ten. Brown, six out of ten. And then Grant Williams, six out of nine. Like, you did, you did that math. That's fucking 17 threes. 17 threes from three dudes. I, I don't know. I don't know how sustainable that is over the long run. I, I really don't know. But, I mean, all the threes drop. So, you can make a case and just say, yo, just chalk it up to the Celtics weren't making their shots in game one, and Giannis was able to figure it out late to eke out a win, even though they were comfortable Ahead most of the time. They were ahead comfortable most of the time. It still felt like all it was going to take is a big Celtics run to get them back in the mix. But you could just chalk chalk it up to, you know, in, in game one, I mean, they shot 36% from three. They took 53s in game one. 53s in game one. Like, they had 42s. They took 53s. Okay. That's what the Celtics are doing. The Celtics are just out here just trying to trick the system. And last night, let's see. Let's, let's do the math. They took 43 threes last night. So 93 threes in two games. 93 threes in two games. And they took more threes than twos last night. 43 threes to 40 twos. And they shot, what was the percentage last night? 46%. So what, 36? They, a 10% difference. 10% difference was all that mattered. That was the difference in the game. They got to split the difference. They're shooting about 40% from three in this series. If you're the Bucks, you can't have that going forward. So that's something to look forward to is basically this series is going to come down to will the Celtics make their threes or not make their threes? Because they're essentially saying it's bombs away. It is bombs away against the Bucks defense. 
So here's what I would like you basketball savants, you basketball nerds that listen to this podcast to do right now. Close your eyes. Close your eyes. Seriously, though, close them. Let's go back and imagine a young Russell Westbrook. Let's also go back and imagine a young Derrick Rose slashing to the cup, dunking on people, catching alleys, catching bodies in, in the air on alleys, hitting the floor a lot, being aggressive. Now imagine young Derrick Rose, young Russell Westbrook. Your eyes are still closed, right? Yeah, still, still slapping closed. Now imagine they're shooting 40% from three. Because that's what Ja did last night. Ja is the evolution of Derrick Rose and Russell Westbrook. Y'all know how I feel about MVP Derrick Rose. It was one of the last bastions of my fandom. Young Derrick Rose was special. He was a one of one. He has thankfully gotten over what was done to him maliciously by the meniscus tearing taskmaster Tom Thibodeau and has reformed his career to be a solid player. But what he was at his apex, YouTube highlights don't do it enough. NBA TV highlights don't do it enough. You just had to be there. What we used to see in Russie when he was young, the aggression, the power, the energy, the ferocity, finishing at the rim, picking people's pockets, going coast to coast. But the one bugaboo was, he couldn't shoot. Team sagged off, dared him to shoot. Same thing with Derrick Rose. They would dare him to shoot. That was not his bag. John Morant shot 41% from the floor last night from three. That's how you get a 50-piece damn near in a must-win game against the Warriors. When Triple J, Jaron Jackson Jr. is not giving it anything and fouls out, when Dylan Brooks commits a flagrant two and gets ejected three minutes into the game, when you have to dust off the likes of DeAnthony Melton to get you some buckets late and some key offensive rebounds late, that's what has to happen. On the second youngest roster in the entire league, that's what it took to get a win against the Dubs, is the evolution. You know, you have the evolutionary chart, the gorilla to the caveman to the homo sapien as we know them today. This is that chart. This is that chart for scoring ferocious combo guards that aren't really point guards, they're just combo guards. They're scoring combo guards in point guards' bodies. This is that evolutionary chart. You can even go back to AI if you want. Go back to AI, and now you have Rusty and D Rose, and now standing erect, pause. We have John Morant. And now he's not going to shoot 40% the entire series. But if he can develop even close to that high 30%, like high 30s, 37, 38, with the league average like 34, 35, if he could get 38% from three and hit 40% occasionally, yeah, he can beat the Warriors. He could beat the Warriors and he could beat a lot of other teams. He could beat the Suns. Like that's because you're not stopping that. Because you can't, because he's young and he's not injured yet. And that's going to be the key. 
we don't want him to get injured, obviously, but like that's kind of what stopped D Rose from becoming what we thought. And Russie never learned how to shoot. He didn't have the injuries as much as he didn't have the catastrophic injuries like Derrick Rose suffered. But just over the years, he just couldn't develop that shot, that outside shot that would allow him to like really be even more dominant outside of just being a stat stuffer. But Ja has a chance here in the early part of his career where the knees are still fresh, the cartilage hasn't been tampered with yet, to where he can use that freakish athleticism with an improved jump shot and be unstoppable in today's NBA. 47 last night with five threes. Now, he took 12 of them, but that's still a good clip. But the fact that he was able to go relentlessly to the rim, that's so important when you're trying to develop your jump shot. When you're trying to stretch your game out to be a three-point shooter, you still have to attack the rim. That freakish athleticism will go away. We see it with D. Rose. He He doesn't attack the rim like he used to. Russie doesn't attack the rim like he used to. There's going to be a moment where Ja's going to hit 27-28 and he's not getting around dudes like he used to. There's going to be a point where he's around 27-28 and he's not catching bodies at the rim. So this is the window. The first five years where you could combine that athleticism with fundamental jump shooting and really just be a bucket, a bucket amongst buckets. And he showed you that last night. And they needed that game last night. And I think the Warriors let one get away. And the Warriors should have won that game. And I was a little surprised that, you know, Steve Kerr's been playing a lot of games with Kaminga. And I thought we would get a lot more of him in this series, to be quite honest. I think he fits defensively I can understand last series against Denver there wasn't really a lot of spots for him to kind of slide in and play but I think in this series they could really take advantage of his wing ability like he's a guy that's 6'8 great wingspan he's going to be a hooper in this league like obviously he made it to the league was a lottery pick but like he has potential to like replace a Wiggins or even a Draymond in this starting lineup as this Warriors thing keeps going. He could also be traded for a bigger piece if they want to keep this whole, you know, Warriors dynasty thing going. But, like, he could either be the future for the Warriors or he could be a future big-time player in a trade for the Warriors. Like, he's that good. And people around the league know he's that good. But Steve Kerr is just not giving him enough run, and I think this might need to be a time where you dust him off and let him get about 20 minutes. Let him get 20, 25 minutes, especially now with Gary Payton out after that, you know, ridiculous flagrant foul by Dylan Brooks. And, you know, Dylan Brooks is not dirty. I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and break down who's who's dirty. We know who dirty is, and dirty is the habitual nut hitter. He showed that in game one. That that flagrant two was a legitimate flagrant two. I don't want to hear no bullshit about his podcast. I don't want to hear none of that shit. That shit was a flagrant two. He deserved to be ejected. He did what he always does. When he gets frustrated and angry, he will become dirty. He is like the Incredible Hulk when it comes to turning dirty. He's Draymond Green, but when he turns dirty and starts, I don't know what color that is that he turns, but it ain't green. But when he turns into whatever color that is and he starts bursting out, he just starts kicking nuts or, you know, slapping plays in the face and dragging him down by the jersey. He can't help who he is. By the way, one less rebound away from another triple single for Draymond last night. But anyway, Hall of Famer.
Right. The adjustment that I saw between games one and two for the Grizz is they're trying to get your man's Jordan Poole in a switch. They have identified the mark. It's usually the fraudulent two-time MVP with trash-ass angles, Wardell Curry. But they have now identified a new mark, and that's Jordan Poole. John Morant loves seeing Jordan Poole in front of him. And he shook him even late last night, had him stumbling, fumbling, bumbling on the floor. And yeah, man, like that's going to be a thing with the Warriors with no Iguodala, allegedly. I mean, he's, he's in street clothes, so I'm assuming he's not out there. And I think that's where Kaminga comes in. Like, if you're going to have two dudes out there that are Swiss cheese on defense, like there was like reports of Steph Curry screaming in game one that he locked jaw. Are you serious? Wardell? Allegedly, there was a tweet. I'll see if I can find it. If I find it, I will link it in the podcast description. There was a tweet that was floating around from someone who was at the game. Uh, I don't know if he's a blue check boy, but a media member was saying that Steph Curry looked at the bench, the Warriors bench, after getting a steal and said he locked him up. Steph, Wardell, he said that. He said that. I mean, Ja had 34, by the way. Ja had 34, 10, and 9. But your man's Wardell Curry makes one defensive play, probably the only defensive play he's made all year, and he's yelling at the bench, I locked him up. So again, we have two dudes now out there that are switch cheese on switches. When Ja is now targeting either Steph or Jordan Poole, what the hell do you do? Because all they're going to do is keep doing pick and roll action until they get either Steph or Jordan Poole on Ja Morant. Because they're trying to make sure Wiggins is the primary defender, but they can't because the Grizz keep running screens to get Wiggins on a switch. And that's why I hate this auto-switching that's been going on. I mean, look, I've been railing against this for years now on this pod. But the auto-switching in this league is just, it's excessive. It's excessive. We don't need to auto-switch on every pick. Fight over a goddamn screen for once. If you pick up a foul, you pick up a foul. But would you rather pick up a foul or keep giving up bomb away threes or keep letting Jordan Poole get switch cheesed up on the way to 47 points for John Morant? Pick your poison. Would you rather pick up a foul by A. Wiggins or just allow Jordan Poole and Steph Curry to give up? Let's see how many points it's been over two games. Well, he had 47 last night. And how much is say he had 30? What? What, he put up about 80 points in two games? 47. Let's do that math. 47. 81 points. 81 points over two games. And you're still auto-switching? Man, you better get Kaminga out there. Kaminga need to get more run, man. It's really just going to come down to it. I know he's young. You don't want to play him, Steve Kerr, because you got to think against Rooks because you think you're some sort of old-school coaching genius. Like, dog, you don't got the bodies right now. You don't have Iguodala. Gary Payton just broke an elbow. Like, you need to get Kaminga out there and let him do some work. He's obviously fresh. You haven't played him a lot the whole damn year. So it's like he can be ready. He can be a spark plug. At least defensively. He could be another guy that's out there with Wiggins that will make it tougher to auto-switch. Because you have to have Steph, Clay, and Poole out there. And Clay's not moving swiftly. Like, he gave up a lot of buckets to Ja last night because he was backing up. 
he gave up a couple of those threes in the second half to Ja just by playing too far back on defense because he was afraid of being blown by by Ja, which he should be. So that's where it's going to be where Ja has the, the man his triple threat ability now. He can get to the cup. He can hit a mid range. And occasionally he could be bonds away from three. Where are you stopping him? What part of the floor are you stopping him? Because Clay, who before all the catastrophic injuries, was would be a guy where you could just say, all right, well, Clay got him. He's not getting 47 on Clay. Before the injuries, Clay, John not getting 47. He's not getting 47. But post injuries, Clay, yeah, dogs. Because Clay doesn't have the footwork. He doesn't have the speed. He doesn't have the mobility anymore. So he can't D up like he used to. So this is going to be an interesting series, man. Like, cause I don't see anyone on this on this uh, Warrior roster right now, outside of potentially Kaminga. If if Steve Kerr decides to like really invest in them, and he may be forced to with Gary Payton, Gary Payton Jr. being out. Excuse me, the second Gary Payton, the second being out. He's going to have to make some adjustments. The rotation is going to have to get different because as it is right now, Jaws getting whatever he wants. And maybe that's the game plan. Maybe he was saying, like, look, Desmond Bain appears to be hurt. So let Ja go crazy. And we'll just hope that Triple J doesn't put up a 30-piece like he did in game one. And he was nowhere close to that in game two. So maybe you just let Ja go crazy and just make sure the others don't beat you. But that's a dangerous proposition to me. Especially when you're just allowing uh, Ja to go crazy. Like, I think Ja going crazy... Putting up Daniel a 50 piece is not really what the like defensive game plan should be. Like, I just I don't I don't get it. I don't see it. I don't see that being fruitful. So I don't know what's gonna happen in games three and four, but I think that's something we need to we need to look out for. Are the Warriors gonna continue auto switching? Will Steve Kerr dust off Kaminga even more so than just a little 15, 10, 15 minute spurt? And offensively, if Draymond's gonna be triple single. And A Wiggins isn't going to look like all star Wiggins. And Clay is going to shoot two for 12 from three. How the hell are the Warriors supposed to win another game in this series? Jordan Poole be damned because he, he scored 20, but he gave up damn near 25 30 to Ja last night. So Jordan Poole's 20 is kind of inconsequential when you're giving up 30 on the other end. So uh, that, that's, that's the look at it for me for Golden State Memphis. It's 1 1. This series has six slash seven written all over it, barring any more injuries to me. So lock in. This shit's going to be a long series. There were two better point guards for the Phoenix Suns in their game one victory over the Dallas Mavericks than the point fraud. Two, not one, but two point guards that were better than the point fraud in game one of their series against the Dallas Mavericks. D-Book. Fresh back off the injury, eight dimes, 23 and eight. Light work was off from three, but 23 and eight and nine, almost a triple-double for D-Book, fresh out the gate off an of injury. Then you had your man's campaign. Campaign, five dimes. Five dimes, and a couple of those dimes were in big moments in the second half of the game. Then there's your point guard, who's really a point fraud, three dimes. Three dimes in about 30 minutes of action. That's the guy that y'all keep riding for and keep tweeting me about. All right, man. Three dimes when campaign has five and D-Book got eight. All right, I, get, I follow. I follow. 
But anyway, did the Mavericks waste one of the two Luka games? You got to know my adage. Luka is good enough to win two games by himself in every series. He's done it against the Clippers in, over the last couple of years, even though he's been bounced out. And he even did it in the first series against the Utah Jazz, where he had two Luka games, and then you had two Jalen Brunson games, and then that was enough to finally get Luka into the second round. Now we have a Luka game, 45-8-12. and 45-8-12, and and they took an L. Now, I believe the Suns are definitely just letting Luka get whatever he wants. Jason Kidd pretty much confirmed that in the postgame. He was like, yeah, Luka's getting whatever he wants. And that's the, the they're tricking him into doing that. The Suns are allowing him to get whatever he wants. He took 30 shots. 30 shots in game one. 30. 30. I keep telling you, he's Slovenian Harden. 30 shots in game one. And while you're thinking, well, I mean, he had to. I mean, did he? Did he? We saw what Jalen Brunson did in the last series. Now, you could argue that the Suns' defense is better than the Jazz, so Jalen Brunson can't go crazy. But, I mean, Jalen Brunson went out here and gave you 6 for 16. That's not good enough if you're Jalen Brunson. And how he got the 16 shots was the problem. It was how he got the 16 shots. They weren't good shots. They weren't clean shots. They were definitely paying attention to Jalen Brunson. He was not going to sneak up on the Suns like he snuck up on the Jazz. The film is out there. The tape is out there. They're not letting that slide. And, again, when when it comes to the Mavericks, what happened to this whole Dwight Powell thing? Like, over the course of the season, they kept talking about, well, the defense is so much better, and now Dwight Powell is a factor. Well, look, against Rudy Gobert, he didn't really do that much. He had some decent moments. But against DeAndre Ayton, if Dwight Powell was this like bootleg Dwight Howard that they're trying to like like really push heavy in the Dallas uh, so- social media space, like if he's really Dwight Howard, why he only plays 16 minutes in game one? And why in those 16 minutes he only got one rebound? He was just bully balled by DeAndre Ayton, that's why. And DeAndre Ayton ain't even built like that, to be quite honest. Like he's not really a back-to-the-basket player. He's more of a 12 to 15 and out big. Like, he'll punish a, a, a small wing on a switch or a small guard on a switch, but he's not backing down most centers. Might give you a jump hook every now and then, but he's trying to get to the turnaround 12, 13, 15 feet out. That's his game. And DeAndre Ayton went crazy. DeAndre Ayton saw Dwight Powell and he saw food. He saw Maxi Kleber and he saw food. So I don't know what's going to happen here. Like, I really thought the Mavericks would be in the mix to potentially make it difficult. And, I mean, yeah, they made the Suns work, but don't fall for for that score, that that seven-point margin of victory for the Suns. It was way more than that. It took a lot late for the Mavericks to, like, even get it close to that. So if Book can shoot the way he did, which was horribly, and they still get a dub. If DeAndre Ayton's going to get out here and get 20 shots and hit 60% of them and just be that presence in the paint. And Cam Johnson, who's one of the best shooters in the league in terms of form, like his form, when he goes out for a jump shot, it looks good every time. 
and he shot 50% from three. Like, it's, it's, they're going to be hard out again. They're going to be a hard out again. You just got to hope it's the Warriors next round. I think they would beat the Grizzlies. I think the Grizzlies are too young to beat the Suns. You, if you don't want, if you don't want the Suns in the finals, then you need the Warriors to take care of the Grizzlies. And that that's that is what I think will happen is the Warriors will take care of the Grizzlies and eventually take care of the Warriors. But it's it's going to be a lot. It's going to be a tough road for for the Mavericks here because they wasted a Luka game. They wasted one of the potential two Luka games that he's supposed to get. Luka's supposed to get a game where he goes crazy and they get a win. He went crazy and he took that L. And you had to look at Spencer Dinwiddie. You know what the, if Dwight Powell's going to be bootleg like he was, bootleg Dwight Howard like he was, like I think he was more bootleg Dwight Howard of this year in game one than prime bootleg Dwight Howard. But you know what the Mavericks could have used against a DeAndre Ayton? is a Porzingis. They could have used a Latvian world star. They could have used a Porzingis against the Suns. But I mean, you know, they made that deal and now they got Spencer Dinwiddie. And he's solid. He can he can he can go at mid tier guards and get buckets. Devin Bucker is not mid tier, not not even defensively. We I talk a lot about his offense and how much of a, a, a assassin he is offensively, but his defense is also up there too. I'm not going to say he's locked down. I'm not, not going to say that yet, but he's not easy to get past either. So Denny's got to deal with that too. So that's going to be. I don't know, man. I really don't know. It's it's if the Mavericks have tricked off one of the Luka games, then they're going to need a Jalen Brunson game soon, or maybe Dinwiddie. One of the two, because I don't think it's going to be Finney Smith. I don't think it's going to be. I mean, do you dust off Boban? You can't dust off Boban just for he'll get destroyed in the pick and rolls. He'll get destroyed if if bootleg Dwight. Dwight Powell is out here getting destroyed on pick and rolls, and you can't even, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't play Boban. I don't know what bigs they could play to try to hang with uh, DeAndre Ayton. I don't know. Marquise Chris, former son? I don't know. I don't know. It could be quick work here. They wasted a Luka game. Mavs need game two. They need game two. That's for sure. And lastly, I guess we got to talk about uh, Miami, Miami and Philly. And I mean, hi, Philly. (laughs) Hey, Kobe and (laughs) Shaq. Hey, man, I don't remember remember Shaq missing missing games in in the playoffs, man. I remember him fouling out. Now, I don't remember Shaq missing games in the playoffs, man. But, you know, I guess bad luck, right? Bad, bad luck, boy. Bad luck, boy. Keep on, uh, you know, whether he's crying on the giant Spaniard's shoulder, whether he's calling out teammates, whether he's coming up small in big spots and passing the blame on the others. Bad luck, boy. Man. Damn. He just can't get right. Bad luck. Bad luck. But I'm sure he'll come back. I'm sure he'll come back and maybe they'll get a game. <laughs> maybe they'll get a game against Miami. Maybe. Maybe bad luck boy could be out there getting them a game. 
I mean, but hey, but at least I realized, hey, Paul Millsap is a sixer. <laughs> Another guy that ran from that Brooklyn smoke and ran down there to Philly thinking that, that he would face greener pastures and he's been making love to the same bench as he was in Brooklyn. <laughs> Paul Reed getting more run than Paul Millsap. Shaky in the light. Shaky in the light. But hey, DeAndre gave you 17 minutes, man. I mean, but he was a minus 22 in them 17 minutes. And he was food. He was food for Bam Adebayo. But George Niang, though. But George, <laughs> 0 for 7. He was 0 for 7. Goddamn. And Matisse, I mean, he might as well have been playing in Toronto the way he looked. I mean, this might as well. I mean, he might as well have been in Toronto where Matisse can't play because he's not vexed. I mean, he really did absolutely nothing. This is a guy that, well, I was being told he's such a lockdown defender. Okay, then 15 minutes, game one. I mean, they, they played Danny Green, the, the, the eroding flesh of Danny Green, more than this alleged lockdown defender that's supposed to be upper tier, upper echelon. I mean, he can't stop Jimmy. Like, he can't stop Tyler Hero. Tyler Hero going crazy. Oof. Might as well be in Toronto, Matisse. Just, just imagine. Just imagine that they're playing in Toronto, Matisse. Because you're basically doing the same thing. It's essentially the same fucking thing. Are the Ravens trying to sabotage Lamar Jackson's value? Are the Ravens trying to sabotage... Lamar Jackson's value. They don't want to pay that man. They want his numbers to be so trash that when he tries to negotiate after this upcoming season, he can't even get 150 guaranteed. That's really what they're trying to do. I think he could get 300. They're trying to cut that number in half by trading away. I mean, look, yeah, y'all know I don't think highly of Hollywood Brown anyway, but at least viable, a viable option. Now, they went in the draft and, and got a receiver. I believe they got two receivers. I could be off on that. But I know they definitely drafted at least one receiver. They really haven't gotten anyone noteworthy in free agency. And I don't know what they're going to do. When Hollywood Brown is complaining about the offense and complaining about lack of touches, and him and Lamar are like really mans, like best friends, like, and you trade him away? Knowing Lamar is trying to get that bag soon? That's that's an interesting move for the Ravens. The Ravens are a savvy front office. Ozzie Newsome is still hovering around there uh, by proxy. But, like, I don't know, man. And they had a good draft. Like, I'm not here to break down winners and losers of draft because that's, that's, just, that's just nauseating. No one knows anything, really, until about two, three years from now in regards to a draft class. But I can say this. I know Lamar needed help, and he got help on the interior like, I didn't see no help on the exterior in terms of receiving help. Like, I, I don't see it. This move to me is really crazy. This move is a, is a sabotage move, I think, to make Lamar's stats not be as great. And Greg Roman, man, Greg Roman is, he got a lot of credit for what he did with Kaepernick. And I think that's a little bit overblown. Because when you at least look at what they did with Kaepernick, Kaepernick had great throwing games as well. He had games with four and five touchdowns, and he had receivers. He had a crab tree. No offense to Hollywood Brown, but, like, he's not even crab tree right now. 
if you're looking at this from the Cardinals perspective, I mean, I know why they did it. Like, and we all should know now, now that we know that Nook is out here getting popped for PEDs, like three different types of steroids, dog, like three, not one, not two, but three types of steroids out here, bruh. That's a lot of roids, man. That's a lot of roids for Nook just to get out there on the field. It's gotta be some HGH in there or something because he battled injuries. He was trying to get back on the field, but just couldn't. And now he's getting older as great as he was. He's getting older. Now you get Hollywood Brown out there. I'm, he's definitely not a Nook replacement, but he can take the top off the defense. They lost Christian Kirk, right? They lost Christian Kirk, I think, with Jacksonville. So, yeah, the Cardinals now have a Christian Kirk replacement in Hollywood Brown. But, I mean, with no D-hop, now, D, now Hollywood Brown's going to get the chance now. He's going to get the chance. Let's get popped for the first seven games. Pop for the first seven games. So, Hollywood Brown's going to have a chance. He's going to have a chance to show what he couldn't do with Lamar Jackson. And if you're Lamar, like seriously, I don't know what you do if you're Lamar. Because either you're going to buy in fully to this power run game that the Ravens keep forcing down his throat, pause. Or you just keep throwing the rock anyway to show that you can be an upper tier quarterback. Problem is, I just don't know who you're throwing to. You can't, th- you can't give any more targets to Mark Andrews. How many fucking more targets can he give to Mark Andrews? Mark, Mark Andrews might get 20 targets a game now. 20 targets a game. And then you look at what the Titans did in unloading A.J. Brown, what seemed to be a contract dispute, and flipping him to the Eagles. Did they just gift wrap the Eagles, the NFC East, with this trade? Eagles had another good draft. For what I've been told, I worked the draft for the gig, Bleacher Report. Um, and from all the pundits that were on that show, they loved the Eagles draft. Loved it. Did the Eagles just win the NFC East? Now, I'm tempted to bring up the Dream Team Eagles. I'm tempted. It's right there. But I'm going to let it rock for a little bit more. I'm going to let it rock and just wait until we get to the point where we know for sure whether or not this is the dream team. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to let it rock for a little bit because I'm, I'm, I'm going to hold back my thoughts and opinions because I really wanted to be the dream team Eagles. I really wanted to be VY out here and talking that type of talk and then going out there and spitting the bit. I would love nothing more for that to happen because it's always hi, Philly. Hi. VY. You remember that, right? Dream team. Mark Jackson's hovering for another NBA job. And allegedly he's close. And I don't know if he has made amends to the community that he offended all them years ago when he was preaching at his church out there in the Bay. It will be interesting to see if he actually gets a job. Because I don't recall anything publicly being said in terms of an apology towards that community. And he's been able to keep a job on ESPN and ABC as the lead or one of the lead um, on the A-team anyway for the uh, NBA broadcast. And he's done NBA finals and all of that. So he's kept his status as a commentator. He's just been silently blackballed as a coach in the NBA. But if he's able to get a job, does that mean he's made amends privately for what he said? And if you don't know what he said, duck, duck, go is your friend because he offended a large, 
minority community that has a lot of power and influence. And in the town that he was coaching in, in San Francisco, that was the extremely wrong place to preach what he was preaching at his church out there. And they ran him up out of there. And also, he was an asshole to players. He, he Festus Ezeli. If you Google Mark Jackson, Festus Ezeli, or excuse me, Duck, Duck, Go It, and see what you see, that played a part of it too. Like So he was problematic on many layered fronts, but the most egregious was what he, what, what he was preaching from his church in the Bay Area, offending a large part of that community. So I'm going to lay and wait and see what happens there. But yeah, Mark Jackson's close to getting a good job. It'll be interesting if he's able to get one because I would like to know, has he made amends and how does he plan on not living his truth out in the public in the year 2022? Because I, I don't believe he's changed his ways. Like, I, I don't think you go from what he was spewing. Like, look how long it took Tim Hardaway. Tim Hardaway just now got into the Hall of Fame because he offended that same community like 15 years ago. And he made amends. He made amends. He went around and, you know, did stuff publicly and, and was out there trying to be the face of making amends to that to that particular community and like straight up I haven't seen that from Mark Jackson so if it took Tim Hardaway about 15 some years like to get into the Hall of Fame when they let everyone in I mean Mark Jackson's been out the game for a minute I haven't seen him making amends publicly like Tim Hardaway had to do to get back into the good graces so if he does get this gig how is he going to operate? He's not preaching no more. I find that hard to believe. Or if he is still preaching, like, is he still on that type of time? I'm sure they're asking him that in these interviews. Because there's no secret around the league why he's not coaching. It's not a secret. Like, you don't even got to put that in group chats. Like, we all know. If you know, you know. So, has Mark Jackson made amends? I don't know. But... He offended that community, and they normally don't let you back in without paying homage or making amends. So we'll see with that. You know what it is. Appreciate y'all for listening. 25,000 downloads have been crossed. Uh, We're actually way over that now. We're closer to 30 now. But... Over 25,000 downloads. I appreciate any one of you who has ever downloaded this podcast. Uh, whoever has come and gone, salute to you. Your numbers still counted. Uh, over 25,000, it means a lot. It's incredible to see those types of numbers, especially when I bounced from the whole Fandle thing um, after the New York Attorney General thing flamed that out. Uh, but 25,000 times, over 25,000 times, this podcast has been downloaded. I appreciate every single one of them and will appreciate those who continue downloading in the future. I don't know where this pod is going to take me, but I know where it has taken me so far and it's been great. I'm looking forward to where this pod and building with you, the audience, continues to take me. So for the CMD podcast, I appreciate every single one of you. Over 25,000 downloads. Holla at your boy. You know what it is. I'll get up with y'all next week, man. For the CMD, this is the the CMD podcast. I'm out.